Our guest today on Timeout Bulls is Kendall Gill. Now, a lot of basketball fans remember Kendall Gill as a member of the Flying Illini, the 1989 Final Four ball club that beat the University of Michigan twice in the regular season. And all of a sudden, here they face the Wolverines again, this time in Seattle at the Kingdome in the Final Four, and they lose a heartbreaker. But Kendall, of course, was then a high number one pick by Charlotte in the NBA, and he had an outstanding NBA career. But you're going to learn from Kendall that one of his passions, other than basketball, is in the ring. That's right. He is an accomplished boxer, and he's also a great guy. We've had a chance to get to know Kendall on a different level with our clinics for the Bulls and Sox Academy, and he is so astute, so intellectually gifted about a lot of things other than sports. So I know you're going to enjoy our Time Out Bulls podcast with Kendall Gill. Welcome to Time Out Bulls, driven by Lexus. You can visit a Chicago area in Northwest Indiana Lexus dealer today to test drive the redesigned Lexus RX. This is Chuck Swirsky, always a pleasure. And, you know, one of the uh, guests that I really wanted on this show is Kendall Gill. Now, I watched Kendall play college ball, University of Illinois, great star, we'll get into that. 15 years in the NBA, but I really got to know Kendall when he was doing clinics and is doing clinics for the Chicago Bulls. He has a great message about his career, where he was at as a player, where he was as a high school player, really never recruited, and his passion for boxing. So, Kendall, thank you for appearing. This is a big thrill for me. <laughs> no, it's a thrill for me too, Chuck. <laughs> and, and you're repping the fighting Illini with that always, orange cap. Always, always have something that Illini uh, inspired on. <laughs> you, you like the Lovey Smith move, the hire? Love it. You know, I just was down at the uh, the game uh, against North Carolina. Unfortunately, we didn't win that game. But, uh, you know, I was down there. and the, I have not seen Memorial Stadium like that since we went to the Rose Bowl. Uh, the tailgating was was fabulous. Uh, you, you couldn't even move. There's there's some fields right across from Memorial Stadium, where all the people were tailgating. Well, a couple years ago, those fields were empty, but it was it was full this time. And you know the electricity that that the team played with, the the fan base is inspired. Memorial Stadium is was packed. And like I said, I haven't seen it since the since the Rose Bowl. Everybody's wearing lovey T-shirts. So. You know, it's, it's great, and I and I, and I, I told Coach Gross, hey, man, you know, Lovey's putting some pressure on us, man. We got to, you know, we got to step up here. So, you know, yes, I'm very happy with Lovey being there. So, so realistically, Kendall, I mean, you know the landscape of the Big Ten better than anyone. And you're from Chicago, three-hour trip to Champaign. Mm-hmm. Do you think Illinois can be a viable football program? And I'm not talking about where they have a flash of one or two years of success. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about longevity. Yes, Can they get kids there to play football? Yeah, absolutely, because you have an NFL coach there. I mean, uh, Lovey's won a Super Bowl. I think that was with Tampa Bay. Uh, coached the Chicago Bears for many years, then went back and coached Tampa. And, you know, when you're recruiting, one of the things that, that, that top-level kids want to know is whether you have connections to the next level, if they should come to, the, to that institution and, and do well. Well, Lovey has that. And, you know, I talk to a lot of Chicago Bears here, you know, and I, and I say, what is it like? playing for Lovey. They say, well, it's like playing for your father. You don't want to disappoint him. Really? Yes. And and, and and when you have coaches like that, that means that those players will try and run through a wall for you. 
And and I think that that's what love he's going to bring when he sits in in somebody's living room. He can call up a Brian Urlacher and and Brian give him the spiel on you know what it's like to play for me. And you know Brian loves Lovey Smith. Yes, he does. You know so yeah. and, and and Brian Urlacher is one of the better linebackers that first of all to ever play in Chicago history and to play in the NFL. And you know he carries a lot of weight. So you know his his input with a recruit is, is going to be. Is going to be fabulous, and I think that's why it's key that Lovey Smith is there. All right. Yeah. So speaking of recruiting, so you go to Ridge Central, your high school, right? <laughs> and correct me if I'm wrong, you went to the state championship game, yes, and you mm-hmm. lost, yes. Okay. So you have a, a really good season, mm-hmm. and normally you have a good season, and you're starting to get letters. In those days, maybe not so much emails because <laughs> right, we're right. Uh, dating ourselves here. But, you know, schools normally say, hey, come visit, come visit. How many schools actually reached out to you of significance at a high D1 level? Well, this is what happened. No schools really recruited me except for Iowa State um, and Northern Iowa uh, before I went to five-star camp. That's back when, before AAU basketball. If you wanted to be seen, you went to either, I believe, Nike in Indiana or or five-star with Garfinkel. In, um, in Pittsburgh. So I went to the camp, and nobody knew who I was. I no, made, what year was this? this was, was this before this your senior year? This was before my senior year. Okay. Um, I went to the camp. Nobody knew who I was, and I made the all-star team. You know, I was playing with guys like Rex Chapman was on my team, Steve Bartle, who happened to be a teammate of mine and at the U- University of Illinois, J.R. Reed was on my team. But, I, you know, I didn't follow any national publications or anything like that. I didn't know who these guys were. I just thought they were just basketball players. Okay. So I went out there. And, and, and played my butt off and made the all-star team. And then that's when all of the recruiting really started, uh, a week after I got back. So did you play start. AAU ball? Never played AAU Never ball. played AAU. So yeah. you're going to this camp, and you're running into Rex Chapman, who had a terrific career at Kentucky. Right. Number one draft pick in yeah. the NBA. J.R. Yeah. Reed, North Carolina, yep. number one. And so even at that point when they were going to be high school seniors, such as yourself, mm-hmm. you're saying, who is that guy? And boy, yeah, yeah, I, he's I, big. Right. Where did he come from? <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I didn't know who they were you know okay. what I mean? but they, they were projected mcdonald's all americans which they were uh phil henderson who went to crete uh yep um uh, Monique high school which is was in my conference in high school we were very good friends um you know all of these guys that that were projected you know then after after i went to the camp then that's when i looked at the magazines like oh i, 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 I played <laughs> hey, with that guy i, I just put 20 yeah, on him yeah i just <laughs> so uh and then that's when the recruiting started then you know i I remember the first call I got when I got home. It was from Lou Henson. Really? Yes, Lou Henson. And and, and when I heard Coach Henson's voice, I was like, you know, I, I really think Illinois is going to be the one that I go to. What was your impression of Illinois before that phone call? Uh, I'd grown up watching Ephraim Winters, grown up watching Bruce Douglas. Uh, of course, they were seniors before I, before mm-hmm. I got there, but also – watching the state tournament uh, at the Assembly Hall. Back then, it's the State Farm Center now, but watching the Assembly Hall on television, on WGN here in Chicago, back when we only had two two classes, Class A and Class AA, uh, I always aspired to get into that building and, and, and play. Uh, so you grew up, were you a college basketball fan when you were growing oh, up? Absolutely. Did you follow DePaul? Did you oh, follow absolutely. Loyola or Illinois? Absolutely. But you... I mean, everything being equal, you wanted to be a, a fighting Illini player. I wanted to be. I wanted to be uh, 
after after I heard Coach Henson's voice. Okay. You know, on, on the phone. You know, because I mean, it, it's something about uh, Coach Henson. Uh, you know, I just took to it right away. And what did you he know, tell you? He just, you know, he has that Southern draw. Hey, Kendall, how you doing? We saw you at Five Star. You know, Jimmy <laughs> Collins, um, and. You know, he just seemed like he was really welcoming, really a understanding man, and 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 he and he understood me, you know, and he was telling me about my game over the phone, you know, so that meant he really watched me, at at five star, and you know, when I went on my visit, and it came down to uh, Michigan State and in Illinois, you know, and I actually visited Michigan State with Steve Bardo. And I, I took my visit to Michigan State. And, and Judd Heathcote. And Judd Heathcote. He was the coach there. And then I took my visit to Illinois, and I was like, you know, I, I, just, can't, I just can't go to another school besides my state school. So that's how I chose Illinois. You know, but so so for two. people listening to our Time Out Bulls podcast, mm-hmm. and they're listening to the voice of Kendall Gilder, maybe they have a young uh, man, young daughter that's being recruited right now. Right. How much influence should the parents have on their child making a decision? Did your parents say, Kendall, you know what? You got Michigan State. Maybe you need to get away from the Chicago environment and go to another state, (laughs) Mm -hmm. be your own man. (laughs) Or, you know what, Kendall, we'd love to see you play. You're three hours away. Mm -hmm. Why don't you go to Illinois? Yeah. Well, you know, my parents, they were very involved in all the recruiting aspects uh, from uh, you know, once I came back from Five Star, you know, it was heavy recruitment, and they were involved with every school that I was interested in. They just wanted me to go to a good school. They didn't direct me one way or the other. You know, they they liked the choice of uh, Michigan State. They loved the the, the choice of, of Illinois, but they totally left it up to me. And I remember when I made my final decision, I was downstairs ironing my pants uh, for, for getting ready for school, and my brother comes down. And he goes, well, which, what is it? Because I'd never told anybody up until that point. And then he thought that I was going to go to Michigan State. And then I told him, I said, Illinois. And he just jumps up for joy. And, you know, he runs upstairs and <laughs> so tells my parents. So to this day, you make yeah. a decision while you're ironing while your While ironing my pants, yeah. I, That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty good. <laughs> so, so, Kendall, here we are. You go to Illinois. Mm-hmm. And, and, I mean, you go to the Final Four. But leading up to the Final Four, when did you sense – because you play with some great players, I'm gonna mm-hmm. have you, you know, list some of the players you play with. Mm-hmm. When did you sense that that period of time when you played at Illinois could be special? Uh, when we were in Hawaii, um, we beat Georgia Tech. That that uh, my, that was my junior year. We beat them in the, uh, I believe, the Thanksgiving tournament. When when teams and they still go out to Hawaii for Christmas and Thanksgiving tournaments, but. Uh, when we went out there and we beat that team, because Georgia Tech was a pretty good team. They had Dennis Scott, Tommy Hammonds back then, uh, Brian Oliver, really, really good players, and it was a top-notch program. Um, when when we beat them, I said, this is a special team, you know, and then we go on and we go on to the Final Four. Dick Vitale gives us the, the nickname, the Flying Illini. Uh, we, we play a nationally televised game against Florida, with Dwayne Shintis, who was the, the big man. He was man. a stud. He, he was a stud back then. Rest his soul, Rest but his he soul. was a yeah, big he, man. He was a big man, seven foot three and, and, and had skills. Uh, and we totally annihilated them on ESPN. 
and and Dick Vitale gives us the nickname, and you know, then it stuck from there, and uh, that team is still remembered to this day. You know, yes. even even all these years later, it's been almost thirty years. So now. so list uh, some players: uh, Marcus Liberty, Nick Anderson, who was eleventh pick in the draft, first pick overall. And Liberty uh, played in the NBA. Yeah, Marcus Liberty played for Denver. Steve Bartle played for. Uh, he was drafted by the Atlanta Hawks. Kenny Battle played a couple years in the NBA. Uh, Lowell Hamilton, who's right here from Chicago, went mm-hmm. to Providence St. Mel, was the number one player in the nation um, when he was in, in high school. So, you know, we had – and a special team about a special thing about that team, every single one of those players were from the state of Illinois. We didn't have one player from outside of the state. A lot of people don't know that. I don't know whether that's – if you can go back and check records to see if, if any other Final Four team was like that, all their players came from the one state, but we, we, we were all from the state of Illinois. So you have, uh, as you just mentioned, a litany of NBA, future NBA players. Mm-hmm. Was there ever a point where ego got in the way of your goal? No, not at all. You know, it, we, we knew it was just one common goal, you know, and we knew that we needed everybody to win. Because if you look at our team, our tallest player was 6'8", Marcus Liberty, you know, and then we were going up against guys like Michigan who we beat twice that year, and eventually we lost him in the Final Four. Unfortunately, it's still, it's still hard for me to take. But um, you look at those guys, 6'10", uh, Terry Mills, 6'9", Lloyd Vault, Glenn Rice, 6'8", at his position, uh, Griffin, who was 6'8". Uh, we were playing against Giants all the time. And, you know, you look at B.J. Armstrong's team at Iowa, you know, these guys had Ed Horton and, 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 and so on, Roy Marble. Those guys were a lot bigger than us. But one thing that we had, we were all about six five, six between six five and six eight. But we could play above the rim. Yes, you know we played with great flair. We were smart. We we had great athleticism, and we were hungry. We were like a bunch of crazed dogs, you know. And and, and I think that's why we never uh, had any egos or or had anything, any individualism on our team. Because Kendall, we, were any games personal to you, other than hey, Illinois playing? You know, mm-hmm. uh, Northwestern, Illinois playing Minnesota. Were any games on that schedule, mm-hmm. when you looked at the schedule that started the year, or as the year unfolded, said, you know what, I want to beat that coach, or I want to beat that player? Yeah. The, and why was it personal? The first Michigan game, uh, when they came to our place, and, you know, that game, we, we they came into our place, we blew them out. That game was in Sports Illustrated. That's when we really got on the map. Then the Georgia Tech game, when we became the number one team in the nation. Uh, unfortunately, I broke my foot that game, and I had to sit out for a, a long period of time. I was able to come back later on in the season. But the Georgia Tech game, because we knew that if we win this game, then we're number one in the nation. You know, and, and it was it was an emotional game. The, the the stadium was rocking, and then Kenny Battle comes up with a emphatic dunk at the end, and you know it, that that was that was that was one to remember. Mm. Kendall Gill joining us right here on Timeout Bulls. Our weekly Bulls podcast, always a pleasure to sit down and talk with Kendall. The Final Four is in Seattle at the Kingdom, and you have yourself, Michigan, you've got Seton Hall, and Duke. Is that correct? Right, Duke. Okay. So give me an idea what it was like knowing that a lot of experts felt that Illinois was the best team amongst the Final Four. We, we were the best team, you know, but thing is we got beat at the end of the game by uh uh i'd say somewhat luck you know uh terry mills shoots a hail mary from the corner and of all the guys nick anderson that's the guy who you want under the rim sean higgins out rebounds him because nick yep. mistimes his jump 
you know, and then Sean Higgins puts it back in. And, you know, I, I, it took me until after I was retired from, from the NBA to look at that game. I never watched it. And then after uh, I was done playing in the NBA, I finally sat down and watched the replay of it. And so it took you 15, 16 years yeah. for you to see that game. Yeah, it did. And, and then after I saw it, you know, I picked up the phone and I called Steve Bardo and I said, you know what, we beat ourselves in this game. I was like, Michigan didn't beat us. We beat ourselves because I, I was looking at all the mistakes. Were you we overconfident made. because you had beaten them twice? Yeah, we were overconfident. We, we probably felt like, you know, we blew this team out twice. And, and really the last time that we played them, we went up to Chrysler Arena, their place, and really put it on them and beat them bad. Uh, we thought psychologically we, we had this team uh, beat before we even got to the stadium. We were actually looking at Duke because we felt that that mm. was the team that we were going to play in the national championship. And, of course, Duke lost to Seton Hall. Of course, Duke, Duke lost to Seton Hall, you know. So things had been set up for you. Right, things, things had been set up. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, the, te- the two teams that people thought weren't going to be in the, in the national championship were the two teams in the national championship. So the locker room after that game. Oh, it was, it was the quietest locker room I've ever been in, you know, because we, we knew that we were the best team in college basketball that year. And we knew that it was our destiny to, well, it turned out not to be, but we felt that it was our destiny to win a national championship. And then after that, you know, it's sort of like running for president, you know, which I watched this thing on CNN uh, a couple nights ago, running for president, having all this hoopla. And then the next day after after the election is over, all the secret service is gone now. Yep. <laughs> That's what it feels like, you know. It's just a, it's just an empty feeling when, when it's over. When did you... Uh, understand that, okay, we're having a great run, I'm having a good year, and I may have a chance to be a top five pick in the draft. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew uh, after we beat LSU, um, we went down and Mahmoud abdul Rauf, whose name was Chris Jackson then, who still to this day is, was the toughest guy that I've ever had to guard. I know people say, well, what about Michael Jordan? What about Kobe? No, those guys were tough, yeah, but he was the toughest guy I've ever had to guard. Why is um, that? Because he, he, he could shoot the ball so well. He had one dribble, a crossover dribble. You knew it was coming, and you still couldn't stop it. You know, he was that quick. And then he had different counters off of it, too. He was just great with the basketball, and his release was so quick. It, it, was, it was just, he's sort of indefensible. You know, you, had, you, you need, really needed two guys to guard him, uh, especially back then when, when he was at LSU. Uh, he was so good. Our team was great defensively. He had 28 points with nine minutes to go, and he fouled out. Mm. <laughs> you know, if he had kept going, he probably would have had 40, you know. But in that game, I went head-to-head with him, and I had 27 points. And, you know, Jimmy Collins, after the game, comes to comes to me and said, NBA scouts just told me that you're looking pretty good. You're going to be a first-round pick. That's when I knew, you know. So after that game, you know, I was really happy. And every, Coach Collins came and told me. And that's when I really, really started working because I knew I had a chance now. So, Kendall, how do you select an agent? Uh, it's, it's sort of an interview, a vetting process, you know, the same as, as anything. But, I mean, do you get a feel? Because everyone has, you know, their, their speech. Right. So how do you see through that? Uh, you, have to, you have to see the character of the guy. You have to go and talk to his clients and, and see how they feel about him. You can go see his offices, uh, see how he operates, talk to some, some NBA GMs to see how he deals with, with them. That's what my, me and my parents did. Uh, and, you know, we came up, my agent became Arn Tellum. And I remember when I, when I uh, chose Arn, about a week later, I get a phone call. And, and back then, you know, I didn't have a cell phone. I was mm-hmm. just in my apartment. Sure. Uh, I get a cell phone, uh, phone call, and a guy on the other end goes, hey, Kendall, it's David. And I'm like, 
Yeah. David who? I don't know any Davids. Diddy goes, David Falk. <laughs> I'm like, oh, Dave. I'm like, hey, I appreciate the phone call, but it's a little bit too late. I chose R and tell him. You know, but you know that David was a real cocky guy, man. But you know, you're you're the fifth pick in the draft. Right. Give me an idea of what it was like draft night. Well, actually, to, to, to be honest with you, I really didn't want Charlotte to take me. Why? You know, because I wanted to go to Minnesota to play with Pooh Richardson. I uh -huh. felt I felt that Charlotte was um, it was a logjam at the two guard position. They had Rex Chapman. They just drafted him out what, uh, a year or two before that. They had Dale Curry. Um, they had Johnny Newman. They had a lot of guys at, at my position, so I didn't understand why they were drafting me. Um, and nobody, there was no two guard in Minnesota. And you had a great point guard with Pooh Richardson. And I, I felt like it was in Big Ten country. Uh, you know, I'd be close to home. But I'm glad it worked out the way that it did because Charlotte was the place that I was supposed to be, you know, and uh, because I got an opportunity to play with. Uh, Muggsy Bogues, Rex, Dale Curry, uh, Larry Johnson, who's the best player I've ever played with, uh, Alonzo Mourning. Larry Johnson was the best player you've ever yeah, played with? Yeah, pre, pre-back injury, Larry Johnson would have been a Hall of Famer, one of the greatest to ever play. You know, he was just beautiful to watch. Uh, and you played with some pretty good players. I played, Listen, I played with uh, Kevin Garnett, Sean Kemp, Gary Payton, uh, Alonzo Mourning, uh, Stephen Marbury, uh, and the list goes on and on and on. Um, Larry was the best out of all of them, you know, because he, he, I, I have, I, I sort of say, you know, you got all sizzle and no steak guys. Well, Larry Johnson was all steak. Okay. He could do everything. He played defense. He was a, he was a great teammate. He was unselfish when he needed to take over the game. He knew how to take over the game. Uh, physically he was imposing. I saw him totally demoralize Carl Malone. Same, he did the same thing to Barkley, did the same thing to David Robinson. And, you know, with his combination of speed, quickness, skill, strength, and power, I always say he was LeBron with Elijah Wan's footwork. Hmm. You know, that, that's exactly what Larry Johnson was. And, you know, unfortunately, I didn't get an opportunity to play like seven, eight years with him. But, you know, I was glad I had the opportunity to play three with him. So you have a power agent. You're the fifth pick mm -hmm. in the NBA draft. And you get that first NBA paycheck. <laughs> yeah. How long did it take you to realize, oh, my gosh, look at this? Yeah, you know what? It, it, I carried it around with me for a couple of days before I even put it in the bank. I, I remember that. Because back then, you didn't have, I didn't have direct, direct deposit. deposit yeah. you know, I just had a check. check. So, so, you know, because I, I couldn't believe, you know, the amount of money that I, that I was making. And, uh, and the amount of money Uncle Sam was making. I, but, <laughs> right. But, but exactly. so, so you carry your check in your wallet. For a yeah. couple of days, peeking at it occasionally, saying, "Yeah, oh man, right, yeah." And I'm, I'm saying, "Like, mom, can you believe this? I got to check with this mom," and and she's like, "No, I can't believe." She's like, "Well, that's good for you and everything." And finally, I deposited, it and you know, then now, you know, I know I'm in the NBA now. That I've, so, what do you do with your first NBA check or a couple of checks? Well, you know what? I didn't do anything. I didn't. I didn't go. I didn't. No buy big anything. expensive car. No big expensive no cars. House, no house. No house. Nothing like that. Now the third and fourth check. Yeah. <laughs> but not. What was what was one of the first big purchases? I bought a Mercedes Benz 560 SEC. Wow. You know, and, and I remember going to the dealership, and you know, but I, I don't know how to negotiate by buying cars. That that was left up to my dad. Sure. You know? So I bring my dad with me, and, and we negotiate a deal, and, and it's a good deal for the car, and. He says, you, you want to pay all cash for it? I'm like, 
no, I just made this money. I financed it. I'm not going to pay all cash because, you know, it, it seems like to me, you, look, I just put all this money in the bank that I'm giving it right back to this guy. Yeah. I'm not going to do that. So, uh, but, you know, I remember me driving it off the lot and I can still remember the smell of the leather. You know, the new car smell, <laughs> the leather. Oh, my God. Man. You know, I, I remember washing that car over and over and over again. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to Time Out Bulls. Lexus is proud to bring you this peak under the hood. The all-new Lexus RX is the perfect blend of chiseled design, aggressive performance, and luxury finishes. And with 44 inches of legroom, even our Bulls athletes would be comfortable in one. Visit your Chicago area Northwest Indiana Lexus dealer to test drive an RX today. Now, back to the show. The transition going to the pros. Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking only as a, not only as a player, but Kendall, I'm talking as a as a person, what transition was there? Was it stressful? Was it tough? Did you beat yourself up after games when you mm -hmm. played poorly, when you would look in the mirror? How did, how did that evolve? Well, the transition, the, the, the first transition was the one I noticed in going from high school to college. My first, high, my first college practice, I went back to my dorm room and I told my, called my dad, I said, I'm not going to make it. You know, because the speed was just too, it was just on another level. I wasn't used to playing that fast against these these great athletes and how strong and athletic they were. It was the same thing in pro basketball. My first pro practice, I remember, uh, I believe it was at McGrady Center or something where we used to where we used to practice. And I couldn't believe how fast these guys were, you know. And I'm like, this is, they're, they're, they're going normally and that's my top speed, you know. So... I, it took me a couple of weeks to adjust to it, and then when we got into the games, by the time we started playing preseason games, I had gotten used to it. And the the one thing that I had, the one thing that I had to get get you, the other thing that I had to get used to, is the professionalism. You know, like you got to get out there and you got to put your work in. I mean, I was already like that, but these all of these guys were like that. You know, everyone in college basketball, you have some guys that say, okay, I'm gonna take the day off this. No, in the pros, everybody is professional, you know, and, and that's the other thing that I had to get used to. So your rookie, lot of demand on you, a mm -hmm. lot of demands on your time. Mm -hmm. How stressful was it? I mean, how do you deal with stress? How do you deal with the fact that, hey, the fifth pick and he's got to come in and play immediately. He's got mm -hmm. to get X number of points. He's got to take this team somewhere. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not like you're the 32nd pick in the draft. Yeah. You're the fifth pick in the draft. So right. give me an idea what that was like. Well, well you know what? I welcomed it. You know, and, and, and here's the thing. Rex Chapman was starting at the two guard. Muggsy was starting at the, at the point guard. So it really wasn't a lot of pressure on me. I, I mean, I came out. I, start, I started mid-season my rookie year, but at the beginning I was just able to come in and, and do my thing you know and it was just gravy you know they expected me I don't think that they expected me to come along that fast because I eventually made the all-rookie team and you know because I think a big reason why is because I was allowed to come off of the bench and play behind Rex and, and Muggsy and Dale and to watch first and then they threw me out there and then you know by that time I was well adapted to the system the first time you're traded, was it a blow to your ego? Uh, no, it wasn't a blow to my ego because, you know, I, I, I went to Seattle on a free agent deal. You know, I knew it wasn't because of my talent. I knew they, they wanted me back in Charlotte, you know, and, and when I look back on it, I really should have stayed in Charlotte, you know. And um, Did you leave for the money? I left for the money, yeah, and, and it was the wrong reason to leave, you know, because uh, 
we were building something in, in Charlotte, but being a young player and a, and a young franchise, uh, I think you don't realize on the franchise part that you got to keep your young talent on the player side that you have to stay with a group of, of guys that, that are really going to be good if, if you're part of that equation for a long, for, for a long time. And, um, you know, if I had to do it all over again, no way would I have ever have left Charlotte. You know, um, <clears throat> I went to Seattle and played, I played with a great team. You know, those guys, uh, Gary Payton, uh, Sean Kemp, Detlef Shrimp, Michael Cage, uh, Ricky Pierce, who came off the bench, Vincent Askew, uh, Sam Perkins. That was a great team. As a matter of fact, that team, the first year I was there, was the we won 63 games, and we were unfortunately were the first number one seed to be beat by an eighth seed. In the, in the oh, you lost to Matumbo in Denver. Lost to Matumbo. You know, I thought that that I would win a championship. That was a great club. Yeah, that was a great team, and unfortunately, we lost in the first round. But all that being said, as great as that team was, I the whole time I was there, I wished I was back in Charlotte. You know, because I knew that we would have been an even greater team with me, Larry, Zoe. And, and the rest of the guys. But Ken, Ken DeVille is our guest. Now, I, I do appreciate the fact that you were very open about, you know what, I went for the money. Because a lot of times, as you know, players kind of frame it saying, well, I had a chance to go elsewhere, but I wanted to stay here mm -hmm. because I just like it here. Where in their heart, they know they took the money. And I don't blame a player for that. I mean, if yeah. the money is there, the money is there. Yeah, but you know what, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting that, you know, I was I went for the money, but I was kind of I, I was kind of like talked into going for the money. Um, I remember going visiting uh, Seattle and them giving me the offer. And I I remember I used to I used to have a boat, a forty two foot Sea Ray Express cruiser. I had it out on sixty third Street <laughs> in Jackson Park in the harbor. And I really didn't want to take the deal. Someone was telling me don't take the deal. And I'm out on my boat, no phones or anything. My agent, my parents, my brother, they come and find me. Okay, they find me on the boat, and they and they know that I'm that I really don't want to sign this contract. They say, "Listen, you're going to be the highest paid guard in the league if you take this. Charlotte is not offering this." But something in the back of my mind said, if, "Well, if I hold out long enough, I, I know Charlotte will eventually come up with it." But you know, they said, "Well, listen, a bird in the hand is better than two in the bush." So that's what convinced me, and that's why I signed the deal. So as your NBA travels take you, mm -hmm. at near the end of your run. 15 years of the league, by the way, you end up in Chicago. Right. Where were the Bulls at that point in time when you arrived here? Because this is your hometown team. Yeah, this is my hometown team. And you know what? You know what? Here's an interesting thing, uh, uh, Chuck. The day, when, I, when I signed that deal, a month later, Michael Jordan retired. No. He retired. <laughs> you know, so if, if I had just waited, waited, I might have been here in Chicago in my prime, you know, as, as a young player at 24 years old. But um, when I finally came here, uh, Bill Cartwright was the coach. Uh, and I came from a, from a good Minnesota team that had just played uh, the, the Lakers in, in the playoffs, which is a good team, a good nucleus. I love playing with Kevin Garnett. I had an opportunity to go back there, but I chose to come home because they had Eddie Curry, Tyson Chandler. Jalen Rose, Jamal Crawford, Scottie Pippen was coming back. Bill Cartwright, who was a very good friend of mine and, and who's now who was the head coach here. And I had developed a great relationship with him as a teammate in Seattle. And they were playing the triangle offense, which I always wanted to play in because I felt that it was the hardest offense I've ever had to guard. You know, I, I tell people all the time, listen, I wasn't so I wasn't afraid to guard Michael and Scotty. I wanted to guard those guys. It was that offense that I was worried about.
because it's like Floyd Mayweather's defense. You know, it's it's unpredictable. They're waiting for you to, to do whatever you're going to do before they do what they do. And, and I felt like I was built for the triangle offense, and that was a major reason why I came here. And I felt that this team was ready to make the playoffs because they had established veterans and Jalen and Jamal and Scotty coming back and young players in, in Eddie and, and Tyson. I felt those guys were young st- studs. And then you and then you, they drafted Kirk Heinrich too, who, who, who was another quality player. So I felt that it was built for, for success, but unfortunately it didn't happen mm-hmm. right away. Speaking of Michael, when, when you were, you know, again, he came in the league in 84. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at a little bit of a, a window where you're in college or high school and then you go into the pros um, in the um, 89, 90, whatnot. Did you have a Michael Jordan moment where you're making your first um, performance as a member of Charlotte against the Bulls uh-huh. and you're standing right next to him and you're saying, uh, I can't believe I'm really standing next no, to him. No, I didn't have that moment. Uh, I had that moment with Magic Johnson. Did you? Yeah, my, my rookie year when I when I guarded But not Magic. Jordan. Not Jordan, because I had seen Michael. You know, Had you played against Jordan? I hadn't, hadn't, hadn't played against him, but, you know, I, I growing up here in Chicago, I had seen him playing a number of times, and, and that moment for me, the, my Michael Jordan moment came when they, they, they uh, recognized all of the top high school basketball players in the city and back then it was at the Chicago Stadium, and we were all on the Chicago Stadium floor. That's when the first time I was able to see Michael, you know, and that's like, you know, and I saw him. That's when my Michael Jordan moment. Then I was like, you know, one day I'm going to be here, you know. And But the Magic Johnson moment, who's, who's the only player that I was ever in awe of, we went out my rookie year. We went out to L.A., my first time ever seeing Magic in person. You know, the Laker colors are bright yellow. It has a glow. It seemed like Magic had this aura around him, you know. And I remember guarding him, and I was like, I can't believe how big this man is, the way that he can handle the basketball, the way he has command over uh, this team. And, you know, you know how some people say, well, he's a coach on the floor? Magic Johnson really was a coach on the floor. I mean, he was telling the coach what to do. You know? <laughs> so, you know, that that's that's when I realized, I'm like, man, I'm, I'm really in the NBA now. I'm playing against Magic Johnson. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So your career comes to an end. Mm-hmm. How difficult was it leaving the pro lifestyle to be Kendall Gill? Hey, mm-hmm. I got to take out the trash. Right, right. Guess right. what? I mean, when <laughs> we get up in the morning, I don't have to go to shoot around. Yeah, it, it's sort of culture shock. Because for years, ever since you were a kid, you've you've done, some, you've been on a schedule. You know, every fall, you know, okay, it's time to get ready for basketball. It's time to go to training camp. We got to get ready for the season. And then when one day, when you don't have to go, it's you don't know what to do. You don't know what to do with yourself. What you did know? you do with yourself? Well, for the first year, I I kind of just kicked around and went to see my my nieces and nephews games and everything. But you know, I I was kind of lost because. You know, I could still play, you know, and I remember, unfortunately, I was I was waved by by the Milwaukee Bucks. They told me, listen, Kendall, it has nothing to do with your talent. We do, we're just not making the playoffs and we're not going to sign uh, you to a million dollar contract when we're not going anywhere. And I, I said, oh, well, I understand that. That's business, you know, but that's never how you want to leave mm-hmm. um, a, a uh, your NBA career. But a week later, San Antonio calls me. Wow. Okay. And they said, Ken, we want you to come down. And then I said, hey, that's great. I was like, I'm, I'm happy to do it. Just guarantee the contract for me. And they wouldn't do it. And then they called me back two days later. They still wouldn't guarantee the contract. Then they called me back another day. 
And I said, listen, I'll come. Just please guarantee the contract. And I said, I think I've proven myself over 15 years, you know. And they wouldn't do it, and that was the end of my career. And then they win the NBA championship. <laughs> I should have I should have actually gone and gone ahead and, and, and rolled the dice, but I didn't like the feeling of going in without an unguaranteed contract. I didn't want that to happen to me again. So. Kindled, um, we just have a couple minutes to go. I want to mm -hmm. ask you, because I, I see your postings on social media, mm -hmm. your workout routine is insane. Do you do that for mental or physical or both mm -hmm. as a competitive release mm -hmm. that you still miss maybe basketball, but you've channeled yourself because your routine, your what you go through, your boxing mm -hmm. is crazy. Yeah. Well, you know, before I before I ever picked up a basketball, I was a boxer. You know, my family lived on 82nd and Sangamon on the south side of Chicago um, before I was 10 years old. And I used to go to a boxing club. And we used to box there. And then my parents moved us out to the south suburbs. Well, nobody in the south suburbs at that time boxed. You know, everybody went to the country club and played soccer and, and football, baseball, and basketball, which mm -hmm. is where I picked up basketball. So after I retired from, from the NBA, I decided to go ahead and fulfill my dream of becoming a professional boxer. You know, I had already trained like six years previous to that with MMA. But, you know, my real passion is boxing. And, you know, I went on ahead and, and, and started training like a real fighter. And, you know, I just, I'm just addicted to it. You know, I've, the boxing family here in Chicago is like my extended family. I know all the fighters. I know all the trainers. I know where all the gyms are. And, you know, it's just, it's just in my DNA now. It's part of my lifestyle, you know, and, and it's how I keep in shape. And, uh, you know, I recommend it for everybody because, you know, you really stay healthy. You keep your weight down. And, you know, it's a big stress reliever. Uh, you know, going in and punching a bag and jumping rope and running five miles, it, it takes all the stress away from you. So, you know, I, I have a love affair with boxing. Did you ever meet Ali? Yes, I, I met Ali once. Um, he signed some shorts for me. He signed gloves for me. Uh, I, I know Floyd Mayweather. I've gone out to watch Floyd train. And, you know, I, I, tell, I tell people this all the time. They're like, oh, no. Can I? I'm like, okay, well, listen. I said, I went to watch Floyd Mayweather train. Uh, I think he was fighting Marcus Madonna and Andre Berto at that time, uh, two training camps. In both camps, I went to see him uh, train. I came away saying that's the greatest athlete I've ever seen. Floyd Mayweather. Floyd Mayweather. Because he did things that I have never seen anybody do or I don't think anybody can do. You know, the, his stamina, his hand-eye coordination, his quickness, the, his belief in himself, his, his, his heart, his ability to take punishment – he came into the ring. He sparred four 10-minute rounds. And, you know, a normal, a normal round is three rounds, mm -hmm. three, three minutes. Yes. Okay? Just imagine sparring a 10-minute round with three different sparring partners. Okay? And they're throwing fresh guys in them all the time. Then he gets out of the ring after that. He does seven rounds on the heavy bag. And he's not, he's not going slow. He's going hard. Then he gets back in the ring. And I don't know if you've ever seen that mid work that he does with his uncle. Mm. Six rounds of that, nonstop, no rest in between. Okay. Then he gets out of the ring, does three minutes, uh, does uh, four rounds on the speed bag, seven rounds on the jump rope, and he's not stopping. I mean, I'm watching the clock like this. Then he takes a break because they're letting me hang with him, right? So he takes a break for about three hours. This guy goes out. He runs 10 miles, Chuck, and he's not going slow, okay? After all of this work that he did at the gym, he runs 10 miles, and he's running hard. And I'm like, I've never seen anybody do this. And then you know what he says after after he's done with the 10 miles? He goes, hey, you guys want to go play some ball? 
I'm like, I'm, I'm like, but, but, I'm like but, but come Kendall, on, here, I'm, I'm, I'm a little older than you are, and I grew right. up in a generation in his prime, Ali, Frazier, mm-hmm. Foreman, Norton, right. Jimmy Ellis. I Jimmy mean, Ellis, it yeah. was like, it was mega big. It right. was huge. I mean, when there mm-hmm. was a heavyweight fight, it yeah. was a spectacle. Right. It was an event. Uh-huh. It was big time. Mm-hmm. Do you think we'll ever see that again? Uh, the heavyweight division is, is slowly starting to come back. You have fighters like Anthony Joshua, Deontay Wilder, Tyson Fury. Uh, the Klitschko's now are at the end of their rope. But I don't think you'll ever see an era like that because you're talking about all-time greats in Ali and, and Frazier and uh, Norton, George Foreman. Uh, but you can get close to it, you know, but, but there'll never be an era like that. I think Ali Frazier was the number one sporting event ever. You know, uh, and, and a lot of people say that. I, I, a lot of writers say that. They, that Ali Frazier's number one sporting event ever. So how can you eclipse that? You, you can't do you it. You can't. You know, You're so, right. so, so no, it'll never be an era, another era like that. Well, uh, Kendall, this has been great. We could go on and on. And <laughs> I appreciate very, very much your spending time. So we no learned problem. a lot about you and about your career and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. So we'll look forward to seeing you, of course, on Comcast as well. Great, great. Uh, breaking down the bulls. And thanks so much. Same here, Chuck. Thank you. Our many thanks to Kendall Gill. You can, of course, uh, see Kendall on Comcast Sportsnet in studios for every Bulls game. Lexus is a proud partner of the Chicago Bulls. Visit your Chicago area Northwest Indiana Lexus dealer to see how sophistication can be daring in the redesigned Lexus RX. Subscribe to Timeout Bulls on iTunes and Google Play. And if you'd like what you heard, Leave us a review. We'll be back next week with another great guest. Until next time, this is Chuck Swirsky. Thanks for listening to Time Out Bulls.